Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smash Pop. And welcome to Smash Pod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just, just aren't asked about the movie. Hosted by me, John Rain. We'll be delving deeply into Bond, tackling a different film each episode with an exciting guest by my side. Episode 10 brings us the Lotus Submarine stylings of The Spy Who Loved Me. My special guest this week is the playwright... Dan Rebellato, who can be found on Twitter as at Dan underscore Rebellato. So, without any further ado, let's delve deeply into Egypt's treasures. What's happened? Where are you going? Sorry, darling, something came up. But James, I need you. So does England. Dan. Hello. Dan. <laughs> Just realised I could do that forever, couldn't I? Yes, um, could. So, Dan Rebellato, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, no, it is a show. Um, so you watched The Spy Who Loved Me? I did. And uh, what, did you, what did you make? Oh, you've seen it before, I take it. I, you know what? I've, I, I think I've probably seen this film like sort of 15, 20 times mm. because this is, uh, this is the bond that I loved as a child. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> so in fact, uh, what this means is I, I find it very, very hard to disentangle how much I like the film genuinely now as a film and how much it's just uh, how I loved it when I was nine. Yes, yes, same here. I mean, for me, it was always, you know, the Lotus one. Of course. Because that submarine car is, is effing marvellous. It is. It is marvellous. Mm. And that's one of the one of the uh, actually several really really well done little set pieces in the film. Yeah. I think so. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, because it starts off with a, a, one of the all time famous Bond set pieces, the ski jump. The brilliant ski jump. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? That is completely fantastic. And you know what? I actually remember seeing the film in the cinema in when was when did this film come out? Seventy seven. So, 77 and uh, everybody applauding in the cinema when mm. that uh, that thing opens of course it does um i think it's a slightly it's a it's a slightly weird moment because it it raises uh, for me uh, i think there's a subtext which i'd never spotted mm. uh, before which is that clearly q is trying to kill bond and <laughs> <laughs> well, explain yourself well you know because you know bond he's got to go to Burn Garden, wherever it is, and obviously he goes to Q and gets his equipment. Mm. And Q says, "This is a ski stick." It turns into a gun. Bond says, "That's brilliant." And he says, "This is your parachute." And he goes, "Parachute? I don't be hanging around in the air while there are people trying to kill me. I'll be sitting tight." He says, "Don't worry, it's very discreet. <laughs> no, no one, yeah. no one is going to see you. It'll be like you're not there." Yeah, I mean, his spare one just said, "Keep calm and carry on." <laughs> exactly but actually that's also that's also the problem with the car yeah. isn't it yeah. because you know he's at that point he's on sardinia and he's pretending he's pretending to be a marine biologist just like and, george costanza <laughs> exactly but he's but you know i don't know i don't know that much about marine but i say that much about marine biology as if i have a working knowledge i don't mm. know much about marine biology at all but i don't think it's one of those 
sort of sciences where you get completely massive grants that means you'll end up with uh with with a, a top of the range lotus esprit this was the and 70s though it, but also you look at the you look at the, the scene where the, the the car is delivered everything else coming off the car ferry is this kind of it's a sort of farty little a to b car little fiat and then there's this Lotus Esprit. Again, I think Q is just trying to make him a sitting target. <laughs> I know. I think I know why. Because Q has his horrible pig trotter hands. <laughs> and he's jealous of Roger Moore's... Because uh, I've written down here, he's 50 years old in this film. Is he 50? 50 years old. He looks great for a 50-year-old. I think he looks really good for 50. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, do, do you think it's, it's sheer jealousy? Sheer jealousy. Yeah. I think that's why he uh, Q does that really embarrassing bit at the beginning when you know Bond they're, they're trying to work out how the, where the submarine's gone and Bond produces the the bit of cellophane mm. that's got the root on it and you know that's a bit of a coup and then and then Q kind of goes oh well of course it's quite simple it's quite simple to track a a submarine. <laughs> Oh, fuck you, is it simple? <laughs> Do you think the whole of the Admiralty are standing around going, oh, now you tell us. <laughs> Mr. Fucking Pig Hands. <laughs> Mr. Pig Hands. I liked it at the beginning. When you, you know when Bond's, um, when, when M says, where's Bond? And Money Penny says he's in Austria working on a case and M shouts, tell him to pull out. Yeah. I was hoping he'd immediately say, and no anal. <laughs> Oh, man. Because that's, that's where it was going, isn't it? it? Well, it is. And it is kind of typical, isn't it, that the the first time you see him, Bond is in classic international sex pest mode. And uh, doesn't he, within about five minutes, he's, there's, we've got the pull-out joke, we've got the enlarging vocabulary joke. Oh, yeah. The something came up <laughs> joke. And then, and then it's a very says, How was your mission? And you know, he says, like, On and off, on and off, he was yeah, talking about your shagging. He was talking about the mission. Well, that, oh, made, that made me think that he's not, he doesn't last very long. Who, who? Well, it's, it's like Bond saying, I don't last very long, I'm, I'm, I'm very much on and off, like two, <laughs> two pumps. No, I think, I think he means I'm on and off women. Oh, right, yeah, I get on women, and then after I finish my business, I get off. Uh, seeing them as objects, you mean. I, I, I it's think maybe a new theory. That's a possible. That's a possible interpretation of how Bond sees women. But I did think that the Bond theme in this in this film does does benefit from more cowbell. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's a brilliant theme, though, isn't it? Mm. I was thinking actually, the seventies did produce some pretty great Bond uh, themes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Diamonds Are Forever is pretty good. Never Let Die is clearly, obviously, the best one. Yeah. There's this, and actually Moonraker is quite a good theme. I love Moonraker, yeah. And you get a disco version at the end. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. It's brilliant. Why is it? Is this, this isn't John Barry, is it? No, he was, a tax ex, he was a tax exile in the 70s, so he was very, like Bond, on and off in terms of working in this country. Bullshit. I mean, what I mean is, what is it? does he phone up from Spain and say, I'm sorry, they haven't got any cellos, I can't do this? Maybe, maybe the pound went up and down quite violently. You're going to have to do this with one guitar and a fiddle. And yeah. he said, I, I can't do that. Get, is it Marvin Hamm? Marvin Hamm, fresh from the sting. Fresh from the, oh, right, okay. Much like Bond, I'd imagine, <laughs> with his STDs. Um, yeah, Marvin Hamlish came in and he, he openly admitted in an interview I saw once that he ripped off um, the BG song, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, you Should Be Dancing. What for the for the main thing? For the Bond seventy seven theme because it goes do 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 do. Yeah, it's funny that I don't think the the, the disco Bond uh, really strikes me quite strongly because uh, because I think when I was young I had a I had a record of Bond themes, but it wasn't the proper Bond themes. It was the Bond themes as performed by Jeff Love and his orchestra. Oh yeah, that's a good record. Uh, which uh, and, and there's always something a little bit disco about Jeff Love and his yeah. orchestra. It's just slightly disco versions. And uh, so so I think when you say the disco Bond, there's a little bit of me that goes, but surely they're, they're all a bit disco, weren't they? Well, this one particularly, because if you notice in the gun barrel at the beginning, he's wearing a cracking pair of flares. <laughs> and throughout and, the film as well. And also, just going back to my Q theory, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a canary yellow ski suit. Yeah. Which again, you, you know, I, I don't claim to be an expert in international espionage, but I think wiser heads would suggest white. 
would be a good. Also, good, Q probably goes in Bond's wallet, right, and gets a pin and sticks it through all his Johnnies. <laughs> just so he gets loads of women pregnant and has to pay maintenance. I'm almost certain that happens. Yeah. And I bet all his Johnnies have got W07 written on them. And he probably hands it to them afterwards. Says, you probably want to keep that. It'd be worth something on eBay. Yeah. When it's invented. <laughs> yeah. Well, he knows these things because they were probably working on it in MI6 at this point. He does. On the general public. But the, the baddie in this, Strongberg, yeah. his, his plan, right, <laughs> or his, his motivation seems to me a bit <laughs> off. It's... It's the most fucking absurd thing about this film. Is it, it? essentially, if I'm, if I'm reading this wrong, tell me, but isn't it basically, I like being underwater, so I think everyone <laughs> else should be. <laughs> well, it's because, you know why he likes being underwater? Because he has webbed hands. Yes, I read this, but I kept watching and you know, I, I couldn't see evidence well, of this. It, 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 I, it's funny, because I, 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 I certainly knew this in, in the late 70s, that he yeah. had webbed hands. And I think probably it's because of the big screen. Hmm. But yeah, uh, when I watched it on DVD recently, um, I didn't notice it. And then, I, and so I tried to figure out where it is. But actually, there are points when he reaches for the control for the trap door in the lift, mm-hmm. you can actually see he's got webbed hands. Right. So he wants to live underwater because he's got webbed hands. You probably, probably at some point at school, he kind of went, well, I guess there's no choice for me. Yeah. I must live among my people. Yeah. But it's, it's such an insane plan because, you know, the full plan is I'm going to c- c- capture two nuclear submarines. Yeah. And I'm going to fire nuclear weapons at New York and Moscow, thus uh, triggering a nuclear war, and then we're going to live underwater. Yeah. And you kind of think, uh, well, first of all, you know, this is the Stromberg shipping line. He must have a board. He must have run this past people. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah. Do you think there's, there's, it's? Do you think they kind of just they're used to Earth's oh, car, his car with his crazy, just nod it through. Nothing ever happens. Yeah. Every week there's another weird. You know, we're going to poison the world's Lego, and we're all going to live in cheese. Brilliant, nice one, Carl. We're going to shoot should... all news agents to give short change me. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. But um, but he's very good though. I think he's great. Kurt Juggins. He also has some, I mean, Christopher, is it Christopher Wood who wrote this? Christopher Wood, that's right. Who also wrote, the, I read somewhere, I might be wrong, I read that he wrote the Confessions films. He did. Which is amazing. It is extraordinary. But you know what? They, and this is, I think this, when, I'm sure I read somewhere that when this film was made, this was a real low point for the British film industry. Yes. But one of the runaway hits of the British film industry were the Confessions films. Yeah. So it's actually, it's, it's Bond reaching up to a more successful... Or reaching round. <laughs> offering a reach round well, for what, much what, better, uh, uh, more successful uh, filmmaker. It should be said, one thing this film is lacking is Tony Booth shagging a woman in a shed so well that the shed falls down. <laughs> I, I kind of I think if if this film just extended like another minute, you would find that little floating pod would do just that. <laughs> Robin Asquith in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tony Booth sort of side by side, covered in suds, shagging um Diana <laughs> Dawes. Actually, there is a because there's a kind of there's a big carry-on element to this film because the Okay, this is a bit stupid, but the, the guy, the captain of the Liparus, looks just like Kenneth Connor. Yes. He looks amazing like him. I keep sort of expecting him when he sees a submarine to kind of go... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that, I mean, what's also lacking is that when they see Bond, you know, keeping the British end up, sir, at the end, there should also be a, a vicar who walks past and crosses himself. That's right, and his glasses steam up. Yes. Yeah. Except what happens is you, you get Marvin Hamlish's theme... But but sung in a kind of carry on movie. Yeah, why? A lot of lusty blokes. He also uh, um, Hamlish also does when um, Bond has to witness a woman driving a car, which is obviously <laughs> deeply upsetting for him. When they drive through the desert, you, can, you get this kind of like the woman's driving a car. Isn't it ridiculous? What a stupid woman driving a car. He does. It's funny. He does a lot of kind of very unbond things with the music. Because before, when you see 
Bond first in Egypt on the camel, he he has some. Um, he he just rips off the Lawrence of Arabia theme. Yes, which you kind of think that's a bit that's a bit obvious, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, it's nailed right on the head. But going back to Stromberg's plan, yeah, I mean it, one of the things that is. I think particularly stupid about it, and actually doesn't really even make sense in terms of the film, is that he thinks that that if he fires these nuclear weapons, it's going to cause a war between, you know, the West and the the East. Yeah. But we already know from quite early in the film that the West and the East are working together. So we kind of already know that he's a bit of an idiot yes. if he thinks that's going to work. Yeah, with tri- Bond's working with Triple X. Exactly. Triple X. Does she get her name because she's very minty? Or is she uh, sort of prone to watching hardcore pornography? <laughs> I, th- I, I think it's like 007, right. but they use letters and they've just got, they've got millions of spies and it's got as far as Triple X. Yeah. And the next one is XXY and. Yeah. And, and XL. <laughs> That's right. Point Me- two. Medium. Yeah. Um, but Stromberg. Um, he he does this. He he loves. I mean, like most Bond villains, he loves elaboration. Like he'll get he'll bring in these two scientists, Beckman and Markovitz, and says, "Well done, lads. Here's ten million dollars each. Get in my helicopter. See ya." <laughs> I know. Do you think it's supposed to? It's supposed to tell us very early on just how rich he is that he can just waste a helicopter. Mm. But he does live in a spider, which made me think that, you know, some little kids get racing car beds. It's like he was like, oh, I want to live in a spider. <laughs> Can I? What do you think? You know, his parents probably went, his dad went, don't be stupid, we're not going to do a spider. He's got webbed hands. We've got to do something for the little lad. Yeah. Let him live in a spider. Go on. All right. <laughs> but also, um, part, of your plan, if part of your plan involves hiring a seven-foot-tall man with metal teeth. I know. He's not very, very and, conspicuous, is he? I know. And and a 60-year-old, fat, sweaty, middle-aged man. Yeah, I put Duncan Goodhue's dad. <laughs> you kind of go, do you think, do we think Sandor gets a lot of work? I mean, it's <laughs> like, so. we've got to try and kill the British Secret Service's most, most efficient and famous agent. Yeah. To me, a fat, sweaty, middle-aged man. <laughs> it's, how's that work? And a walking scaffold. And I know. Do we, how do we think the teeth work? I, mean, I don't know. Just, if he's just got metal caps on the teeth, that's not going to do anything. He's got to have an entirely metal head. Well, he bites Julia Suarez's dad. He does. I'm imagining that's his method of killing, which is a bit close range, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And it, but he also does like the padlock. Yes. So it, they, it, it's, it can't just be he's got hard teeth. He's got to have like really powerful jaws. Yeah. Hence the name, I'd imagine. <laughs> Hence the name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because at one point he dresses up as a telephone repairman. Yeah. He'd raise an eyebrow, not no, not no pun intended to Roger Moore, but he'd raise an eyebrow if someone came and didn't talk and came to fix your telephone and couldn't get in the house. You'd, you'd be phoning, wouldn't you? The kind of Egyptian equivalent of BT. Kind of, could you just send someone a little bit less alarming? A little smaller time? and who can talk <laughs> and doesn't try and bite my head off. He's a, that's, that's a funny, that's a niche career he had, isn't it? Mm. Richard Keel. Yes. Because I think he was in, he was in Silver Streak, wasn't he? Yeah. And I think he, he was in Silver Streak. And I think it's a very long time since I saw the film, but I think he plays someone with metal teeth in that. You might be right, actually. And maybe it was just like, you know. He's in Mean it, Machine. Say again? That Burr Reynolds film, is it Mean Machine? Where he goes to prison and has to form a football team. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that. Oh, and he's in um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Paul Newman kicks him in the balls. He was in a really weird Star Wars rip-off called The Humanoid, which for some terrible reason I saw twice in the cinema in 1979. Right. Uh, uh, I think it's one of those things where I went to see it and then there was a birthday party and everybody went to see it. So I ended up seeing this completely dreadful film twice, but he, he kind of, he does, obviously he plays the same thing. He's not going to be playing Romeo at any no. point. You know, he was, I think he, uh, I'm right in saying this. He was the first incredible Hulk. Before. You might be right. Actually, that rings a bell. Yeah. And he's in Cannibal Run 2. Is he? Yeah. He, he shares a super Japanese car with Jackie Chan. What an odd pairing. <laughs> There's, there's a film right there. 
Yeah, Richard Keel and Jackie Chan in a car, driving, driving to Swindon for a carpet convention. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you were talking earlier about how Q wants to kill Bond? Yeah. I think he wants to kill all of his agents because we get a small display of all the gadgets he's working on and they're all, to a man, shite. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? It's... I, first of all, I mean, does he just kind of, does he go around the world doing sort of locally themed small killing gadgets? Yeah. Because these ones are all kind of hookahs and exotic trays and things like that. Yeah, he's got a decapitating dinner tray. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, send that to the embassy by the end of the week. Surely you'd have to take the little runway it lives on. Yeah. And, yeah, then, exactly. and then he's got a seat that spikes someone up the arse. Yeah. Which, you know, and then he's got a seat that springs people up in the air in slow motion. I'm sure that all that this means is like when he goes to France, he's going, this is my exploding baguette. This is my beret that kills your brains. This is, you know, this is the romantic person, but I'm, I'm running out of French cliches now. Sure, sure. But, you know, and, and he just goes around being slightly racist in the way he tries to kill people. Yes. Yes, because in the next couple of films on, he gets progressively more racist and worse. I think these are all secretly cries for help that he's kind of run out of... Uh, he's run out of the will to do his job anymore, so he's just making it up and not, not putting in any effort. He's, he's called... He's referred to as Major Boothroyd in this film. Yes. I noticed that. Is, that, is, is he widely known as that? Yes, he is. It's Q, oh. Q for Q to Quartermaster. Ah. Uh, yeah. Why don't just call him Major Boothroyd? I mean, it's not a big saving of time. Not really, no. Well, I suppose if you had to, you know, had to send a telegram and it was quite expensive. Q, stop. Your gadgets, stop. Don't work. Stop. <laughs> stop making gadgets, stop. Caused a bit of an international incident. Stop. <laughs> You're, when you blacked me off and turned me into... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Your exploding gollywog didn't go down very well. <laughs> yeah. The natives are getting restless. Stop. Yeah. Um, but... Think the Jaws character. You realise, of course, that one of the things this film is completely obsessed by is the film Jaws. Yeah. It's kind of really, really weird the way that it's, um, you know, so they've, they've got a character called Jaws. You Obviously, they, you know, the Jaws are such a huge movie. Hmm. I'm sure that's why you've got the shark business in it and then of course you've got the the stupid bit at the end where jaws gets in the tank and wrestles with the shark and wins and it makes me think of um have you ever seen the film orca yeah the, which ha does a very similar thing which i think is probably the same year or around about the same time it begins with a scuba diver is being menaced by a great white shark and then and this is right at the beginning and then just as the shark is about to attack him wham orca the killer whale comes out of nowhere and kills the shark yes. and it's such a pathetic attempt by the filmmakers to kind of go huh, you thought jaws was scary you wait until you see our our, our killer killer whale oh, particularly rubbish awesome. killer whale and it was hopeless mm, it was Hope. so um, Richard Harris yes that's right yes yeah Charlotte Rampling maybe something yeah like something like that it's pretty dreadful there were a few kind of Jaws ripoffs around them there was the deep as well wasn't there the deep yeah which also was very disco that was very disco and it was John actually. Barry and they chose an even uh, less impressive uh, sort of underwater villain which was a moray eel that's right. Which I don't think was a very was ever going to be a kind of Was it an angry Morial? Oh furious. Oh, well then absolutely livid. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But there's a lovely bit of um, shit technology in this, well, filming technology, because there's a scene where, you know where uh, Bond goes to the pyramids to meet Julius Sawala's dad? Yeah. And he's following Jaws. Yeah. Or it's, I can't remember which one it is. But there's a scene where Roger Moore is kind of prone at the side of this rock watching one of them, watching Julius Wiley's dad walk past. Yeah. And if you go back and watch that scene, it's a painting of Roger Moore. No. Yeah, because they got back to London, I think, and realised that they hadn't got Roger Moore for that scene to make that. So they used, uh, they managed to find a photograph someone had taken on set of Roger Moore. <laughs> I, I thought they'd inserted the, the photo, but looking at it last night, it looks like they've painted the photo in. That's completely fantastic. It's so awful. See it for the 21st time. But I only noticed it because I watched the behind the scenes documentary on the Blu-ray uh, and they say this happened. And now I can't <laughs> stop seeing it. The, that whole, um, the whole Egypt section of the film hmm. is, uh, is a bit of a disaster. I think. I mean, it's. I think it's very kind of well done, but it plot-wise, it makes absolutely no sense. Yes, at all. Because he because... goes to see that girl. Yeah, and then, then within two seconds, he's like, "Right, well, let's have a shag then." Yeah, and then that gun comes through the thing, and she's suddenly like, "No." Yeah, you don't and even then know who he d- is. And so I, I have no idea who she is, what no. her plan was, and what why she's there, why she's offering whatever she's offering to bond uh but but he's so he's gone to he's gone to this weird shake character shake hussein <laughs> who i only realized when i watched it this this time for this is actually meant to be an arab i just thought he was because he's sort of so posh and english i assumed he was just sort of in some kind of, he'd gone a bit native or something mm. but no so he's meant to be a shake and he says Okay, if you want to kind of track down the microfilm, you've got to get Fekesh, and then Fekesh will take you to Max Kalber. But of course, Bond never actually meets Fekesh. Fekesh yeah. is killed by Jaws. So it turns out it doesn't need to meet Fekesh at all. So Fekesh is killed by accident or, or unnecessarily. So that bit doesn't work. But then more generally, Again, I don't claim to be uh, an expert in global espionage, but they they spend like 50 minutes of the film trying to track down this piece of microfilm because they want to know where their where their nuclear submarines have gone. But I think what's easier to track down the piece of microwave probably a million ton super tanker. Yeah. Do you think? Because I think you, you can track those down by by doing things like flying over them. Also, when they do get the microfilm, it's not complete. It was just to whet our appetites. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But they you get do... five minutes of them going oratory, oratory. What's an oratory? You fucking idiots! <laughs> I know that's kind of stupid because, in fact, you know, really, they should have gone. You know what? What was in the area when these submarines disappeared? Oh look, there's a massive super tanker. Maybe that's got something to do with it. And then you've got Stromberg, rather than all this sort of fanning around in Egypt, which doesn't make much sense. No, but it does give you the line, um, when one is in Egypt, one should uh, delve deeply into its treasures. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Bond, you dig. Which I th- I'm hoping was the horse, bef- you know, the, the, the cart before the horse. It's like Christopher Wood had written that line. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, we're going to have to go to Egypt to make this joke work. That was, probably, that was probably his pitch <laughs> to the producers. If you, if you hire me... You get gold like this. And you get Asquith. <laughs> All right, no Asquith, but you get this line. <laughs> uh, but it, it, actually, it's got a kind of, it's a bit of a holiday on the buses kind of feel, this film, isn't it? Because it's sort of like when they made, they made movies out of sitcoms and they thought, well, at least let's get a holiday out of this. So you'd get, uh, are you being served? And they'd all go to Spain. Yeah. Or something like that. And it feels a bit like that, that Egypt is just because, well, because we can. Yes. They don't need to go to Egypt. They really don't. As you say, they don't actually achieve anything by going there. They achieve, yeah, they achieve nothing at all that they couldn't have got just by flying over the sea and looking for an enormous tanker. And there's also that very odd bit after after Jaws, after Jaws has 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 killed Max Kalber uh, by pretending to be a telephone engineer. 
then he gets in a van and they jump in the back and he drives to Luxor, yeah. which, is, which is like seven hours away. <laughs> and, and what does he do when he gets there? He does nothing. He just walks up. He should just kill them. Yeah. And then they have to drive all the way back. But you do get Egyptian builders. I know. That's not a thing. No. Do you know what I mean? Actually, Stop trying to make one, that a thing. If, if there's one thing you think they're probably famous for, is, is building really solid buildings that lasted for like thousands of years. Yeah. But also, so, it, it, this whole scene with her trying to get the van in gear, yeah. that does go through my head. Every time I accidentally put the car in the wrong gear and it makes a noise. Can you play any other tunes? <laughs> and also, uh, Jaws's van seems to be made out of tinfoil. Yeah. Because he just, I mean, just rips great chunks off it. And See, when so, I was growing up, my dad, my dad hated Jaws. He kept saying, oh, he's bloody useless. And I used to think, no, no, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And I thought, is he useless? <laughs> he is a bit useless, isn't he? He is well. He is. I mean, literally, he's got he's got the two people he's meant to kill in the back of his van <laughs> seven hours, <laughs> and he has he has a gun, and he doesn't doesn't choose to do anything. He knows they're there because you know we hear him listening to the kind of the, the speaker, but he goes to Luxor. Hmm. Maybe I've always wanted to see Luxor, and I'm going to let these guys. I'm not going to let them stop. Them. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's doing. Because he just he just wanders through the ruins, doesn't and he? It's only seven hours till sunset, and I've always wanted to see that. How <laughs> beautiful! You have to, you, you know. Before I die, I wanted to see the sunset over over Luxor, and that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> Stromberg, be damned! <laughs> he also gets them both in a very small train carriage and still fucks it up. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And also, he's like, he's—it's just so weird. He's high. He's like, how old, how tall is he? He's like seven and a half foot. Seven and a half. I think it's something like that. Yeah. And his hands are like as big as Roger Moore's head. <laughs> Roger Moore. It's also really funny. Roger Moore, who I think is really great in this film, actually. Brilliant. But he's got two fight faces. <laughs> he's got one, which is the one he does outside the tomb um, by the pyramids, which is the kind of the classic imperturbable, one eyebrow raised, not a hair out of place, oh dear me, assassins. And he just sort of does a bit of, you know, karate. Yeah. And he's got another face, which is the one he uses in the train carriage, which is kind of, fuck! <laughs> kind of face. Which is this eyes bulging and his, his teeth are kind of gritted. It's kind of brilliant. And the hair's a bit dishevelled too. Yeah, even, um, which shows you the lengths to which he's prepared to go to save Triple X. I always, I, I, to this day, I, I thought, when I watched it, I assumed, or I remembered anyway, that the jaws in the train bit was at the very end. Uh, so when okay. it happened almost halfway through, I was so confused. There's another Bond film, isn't there, where... Live and Let Die. Sick. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. And so also, that... um, this film rips off You Only Live Twice, because the plot of that is Blofeld that's stealing that. satellites with sort of satellite-eating spaceships. That's, yeah, exactly. And which then, of course, is virtually repeated exactly in Moonraker. Yes. Yes, it is. It's very, it's... It's like Christopher it's, Wood it's, had a really good Bond film that he liked. <laughs> well, you know, this film had, I mean, it had so many writers on it. Oh, did it? Yeah, it had, I mean, it just, in, I mean, I think in the 70s, it was a bit like jury service. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I was at primary school and, and we, as a class project, we had a crack at draft seven. Hmm. Uh, but he had like, yeah, I mean, certainly had, you know, I mean, had like 15 writers at some point working on it. And they went through some really bizarre ideas for how it worked. Because so, this was the first time they'd kind of deviated from a Fleming novel, isn't it? That's right. Because I think, well, I know this, I know that the, the novel Ian Fleming wasn't happy with it and didn't think it was suitable for a movie because when I saw it and I, uh, I loved the film, age nine, uh, I asked uh, my, my, my grandmother to buy me the book as, as a Christmas present. So I, and she bought me the original novel. And I'm reading this um, and like I'm halfway through and Bond isn't in it. It's all, it's all like set in a motel in New York or something. Mm. 
uh, and there's a, a woman who's being menaced by gangsters. And then Bond turns up literally, I mean, as I, I haven't read it since, but literally it feels like 10 pages before the end, Bond turns up. So I, I, as I understand it, Ian Fleming said, you can have the title, hmm. but don't try and make this into a movie. So all they had is the title. It's a good title. It's, it's a good title. It doesn't have a lot to do with the film, because do you think Triple X has fallen in love with Bond? No, not really, because right until the end, she wants to kill him, doesn't she? Yeah, actually, all the women want to kill him in this film. That's a good point. It's kind of interesting, because, yeah. like, he, you know, he, there's the woman at the beginning, the, who's clearly a Russian spy. Yeah. There's the, he, the, the, the woman, you know, into whom he wants to delve deeply, yeah. who's, a, who's a sex slave, so I'm sure she wants to kill him. Caroline Monroe wants to kill him in the helicopter. Caroline Monroe wants to kill him. I'm pretty sure the receptionist wants to kill him when he has his terrible lines. I've, I've got a message for you. I think you've just delivered it. I've in other words, I've just come in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me anyway. Oh, yeah. you've just delivered it. But, but you know, I think, and this is, uh, I'm going to sound, uh, I'm going to be cultural studies wanker now, but mm. in a weird way, I do think this film is is a kind of desperate attempt, a sort of attempt to respond to feminism. And I know it seems really weird to think that a Bond movie is ever quite doing that, but but actually, compared to some of the other movies, because I think it's, um, in fact, I think you discussed it in your podcast on this, in You Only Live Twice, doesn't almost every woman he comes in contact with end up dying because of him? Yeah. Bond, that is. Yeah. Whereas, so here it's kind of the reverse, that that actually Bond is the person who's being menaced by by the women. Hmm. And, and also, and what we haven't talked about is Barbara Back, who I think is a pretty great Bond girl. Yeah. And uh, and one of the things that's really good is that actually she is independent and smart and has got her own talents and uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, of course, she ends up shagging Bond at the end. But I kind of think even in this sort of dinosaur movie franchise, they're kind of going, I'm not sure the slightly sort of weird, misogynistic, murderous fantasies of the Sean Connery era are going to quite cut it anymore. No. And this is their... They're sort of small, inching their way towards trying to sort that out. I think so, because up until the film before this, Bond was still smacking women about. Yeah, and that's I think right. from this one onwards, he stops that completely. Yeah, th- yeah that's Roger's right. Roger's more of a cuddly Bond, isn't he, really? He's more of a... Yes, he's a misogynist, but he's not going to smack you around a hotel room. No, he's forever... Um, he's, do you notice this? He's forever trying to drink champagne with women. Yeah. Three times in this movie, he yeah. gets a ice bucket and some champagne, and he's never able. Nobody ever takes him up on it. No, and uh, I, of course, this all adds to my uh, uh, my my thesis that this is a huge Freudian nightmare of a film because it's all about him failing to pop his cork. cork yeah. The, you know, the, the central criminal act of the film is this giant thing that comes from the ocean and swallows fallacies. <laughs> so, so there you go. I think, uh, I think this is trying to put their house in order. She probably pegged him at the end as well. Oh. Just to put a seal on his, uh, him being a cuck, as they say these days. <laughs> they do. Um, but did you know, you know, going back to Q's hatred of Bond, something I did notice is that Q came all the way to Sardinia to deliver the Lotus. Yeah. Bond gets in and just drives off <laughs> and leaves him there. Which raises the genuine possibility he didn't know it was a submarine. Yeah. He just, <laughs> he just kind of thought, bound to be, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> as, as it hits the water, he goes, I really hope I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I've usually got good instincts. Um, yeah, maybe it's like he didn't drive off a cliff. It's going to be a plane, isn't it? Surely, that's probably ninety-eight percent of his life. These, these trousers are fire retardant. They must be. Why would Q give me anything? <laughs> he came off trunks with my parachute. This comb surely has got a bomb in it. Oh no, it's just a comb. Yeah. But he also delivers when he kills one of the um, guards that are after him on the motorbike, who in, you know inadvertently gets covered in feathers. 
Yeah. And as he's falling to his death, the man hasn't even hit the ground yet, and he says, all those feathers, and he still couldn't fly. I know. So I say to him, could, could you do me a favour, Rog? Could, could you come to his funeral and say that? Would that be all right? <laughs> you could say a few words. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, James Bond's here to say a few words. <laughs> there, is, there is something... There's something weirdly inappropriate about his jokes. Because also when Max Calber dies, not only does he say he was cut off permanently, mm. he also puts, <laughs> puts the out of order sign on him. Which I read as if... Cockney. <laughs> this is out of order. Like Bob Hoskins <laughs> in The Long Good Friday. Someone's murdered Max Calber and I want to know who it was. <laughs> in fact, if he'd been shot, he'd have said, you know what, that was bang out of order. <laughs> exactly. He'd have had to write it on with a pen, bang, out of order. <laughs> there. Now, where's Triple X? I want to impress him with my repartee. Yeah, well, it's, it's, the, it's the fact that he's that he, that he does both the jokes about Max Calver dying. Mm. That kind of implies, hmm, she doesn't seem to get the first one. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll do another one, just so she knows what a very merry fellow I am. Because when Bond does get his Lotus Esprit, he sends um, Jaws to kill him, and Jaws is literally in a Ford, Ford, Ford Cortina, which is it's not going to send shivers up your spine, is it, when someone turns up in a Cortina? That is weird. On a kind of, you know, on twisty mountain roads in Sardinia, and you're up against a state-of-the-art sports car, and they're just hanging out the windows trying to fire guns at him. But then also... Bond goes in the water, and then suddenly from out of nowhere, these scuba divers appear. It's like he knew the car was going to go in the water. I thought that was big. I thought that was maybe because he gets very close to Atlantis, and maybe one of the scientists kind of looks up through the porthole. And well, I mean, I'm making this up because that doesn't actually happen. But no, no, no. That's why. That's how I made sense of that in my head. Yeah, true. But um, also, I, I wanted to. I wanted to mention as, as someone who's eagle-eyed. As I, I noticed it at the beginning. You know, at the very beginning, when um, the oil tanker's being, uh, the oil tanker's eating the sub. Yeah. When the uh, captain of the sub runs, is in the mess hall. Yeah. He walks past, on the wall, there's pornography. Yeah. Right. He walks past the first sailor who's reading pornography. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the next sailor is reading pornography as well. How much wanking are they doing on this submarine? That's what I want to do. Yeah. I think, it, you know, it, it all, I'm writing this down because this is all going to be the article I write about the Freudian theory yeah. of this film. <clears throat> I mean, it's no wonder their eyes off the ball if they're just all jacking off <laughs> all day long. There's the bit later on, isn't there? When, um, when Bond and a massive triple X go on to the submarine to add uh, to as kind of bait or something. Yeah. Um, there's the bit where the, the captain of the submarine kind of says, I think you better, shower in my quarters oh, yeah. and then a shot of the submarine doing a big erection yes. and it pops up out you know it's, and, and sh- that's obviously a joke about kind of mm. well, hey lads yeah and, that, and then you also get the lingering shot of her in the shower in the nude <laughs> and you get and and of course you have the kind of uh, there that's virtually the the passing vicar with the steamed up glasses because you have it the naval rating or whatever he's called <clears throat> who does a kind of one of those 70s sex gulps <laughs> he goes there you'd want Kenneth Connor wouldn't you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant and, uh, yeah that's, that's that's where Kenneth Connor was wasted in this film but we'd be remiss to not mention the Kubrick connection to this film that's right it's something it's about the lighting isn't it? yeah the DP on this film uh, had uh, long-sighted eye problems. Right. And when they came to light Ken Adams' stage, which at the time was the set, sorry, which at the time was like the biggest set ever constructed. Right. He was basically like, oh, fucking hell. So Cubby Broccoli was mates with Kubrick. And Kubrick right. said, look, I'll do it if you clear the set and don't tell anybody. But he wow. came in and he lit it. And because it does actually, another thing we should say about this film is mm. actually the design. It's completely fantastic, incredible. 
the first time you see the inside of the Leparas <clears throat> and sub Bay, it is completely amazing. And it's because of this film that the 007 stage exists. Because Ken Adams said, look, I want to do this, but I built this giant set last time for um, You Only Live Twice, the, the volcano. But oh, when, yeah. after we built it, we had to take it down again. Why don't we just build a stage and um, put it in yes. there? So, in, in, at Pinewood, is this? Yes. So at Pinewood um, now, there's on Goldfinger Avenue, there's the 007 stage. Really? Yeah, and well, it's, it's massive. It's, his work on this, I mean, um, you know, there's the Leparas. But actually, I hadn't realised until I, I read something about this that most of the external shots of the oil tanker are a model. Yeah, Derek Meddings. And they're amazing. Yeah. And there's Atlantis itself, which I think outside and in also looks completely amazing. Yeah. I think there's like, there's the fantastic kind of dining room thing with the panels that slide up yeah. to the, 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 the sea around it, which looks great. All those kind of weird curves um, in his sort of in his den, uh, you know, they look pretty great. And I think the thing outside, it just looks fantastic. I think that's, that is, that's still, I, as far as I can tell, <clears throat> without the nine-year-old version of me sort of looking over my shoulder, I still think that really works well. It is just, you, you know, when a film franchise kind of finds its stride, that's yeah. one thing. But I think at this point, they're like, they're just running. It's just... Effortlessly amazing, you know, design-wise, I mean, effortlessly amazing every time. Ken Adam was just an yeah. absolute genius. And, yeah, and this film is just stunning. Though I do I do sort of feel a bit, I know we don't, we don't want to stray into other films. Mm. It does sort of feel a bit like, I have, I have slight mixed feelings, because I do think they get so much of this right. I think Lewis Gilbert actually does a pretty good job on the directing. I think the the core cast are really good in this. I think the design is great. <laughs> Pacing of it is good. The set pieces are really great, but there are kind of little clues about how the franchise would get quite stupid in the eighties. Yeah. And actually Jaws, even though in this film, I think you can kind of just about gets away with that mixture of menace and comedy. Jaws is still a pretty stupid idea. I agree. And there are some, and there are some, you know, like the way he, the magnetic, the, the, the magnet that picks him up by the teeth. Yeah, I've written it? down here. Why would Strongbug have a giant magnet? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Maybe he's had that problem with Jaws as well. Ah, uh, yeah. You're going to the you're going to the naughty corner now, Jaws. <laughs> but it but so it feels a bit like you know they kind of get so much of it right, and then there are little bits of it that are wrong. And it's kind of like, I know it's kind of, it's kind of like somebody sort of hosts a, a, a dinner party and they, and they get just the right kind of balance of guests and the food is brilliant and the wine keeps flowing and the conversation's fantastic. And the guy hosting it um, gets really overexcited at the last, last minute he comes downstairs dressed as a clown and does a little clown routine. <laughs> And then, and everyone, I don't know, I'm quite going with this metaphor, but everyone leaves the party kind of going, okay, the clown thing was a bit weird. But I mean, but basically, that was, that was a really lovely evening, wasn't it? And he's at home going, going, well, clowns are obviously the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to do every time. That's possibly the best metaphor for <laughs> 70s Bond I've ever heard. Oh, my God. That's marvellous, because that is exactly the, what happened, because they were encouraged by this and, oh, yeah. and waded deeply into the porridge after this and, uh, yeah, got more silly and more preposterous. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, what I found, though, is once they got to the submarine base, is that it did kind of drag a little at that point, because they wanted to show the set off a lot. Yeah. It is still, I mean, I think I think you're right. And there are, there are things actually I don't, I, I have to admit, I don't understand about that sequence. One is, why, why does Stromberg steal a third submarine? Yeah. It's not that's part of his plan, is it? Hat-trick. <laughs> you kind of, it was there. Well, I've got two, but I, I would like three. I know, maybe it's just a sick addiction. Maybe he, he like, wanted to blow up America and Russia, and then he really fucking hated the Isle of Man. <laughs> Bastards, they're the ones that laughed at my webbed hands. Of course, they've all got them as well. Yeah. I liked it when, um, when Bond freed all the uh, nuclear 
uh, submarine people. It was like right. they suddenly they had like grenade fever. It was like they just discovered grenades. <laughs> Every one of yeah. them was like, "Fucking hell! I've just found this grenade. Lob them!" <laughs> and everyone was flying through the air. Yeah, and it's kind of amazing that they don't. There isn't kind of unbelievable collateral damage. Yeah, because they just kill people in orange. Yeah. They, most of them are totally fine, but everyone is just throwing grenades around and firing off submachine guns, Yeah, which is a bit nuts. Absolutely. Do you think those people who work for Stromberg know anything about his, we're all going to live underwater, lads? Oh, I think they've well bought into it. I think it's his bit Jonestown, <clears throat> Jonestown Brexity. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's what it is. Hmm. Uh, so maybe, maybe it's not such a crazy idea. Yeah. Of course, it's the future that... Busted warned us about. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he hasn't. So, and, uh, and they've seen your great great granddaughter, and she's pretty fine. Exactly. Uh, Which so has always bothered me as a line. It's, it's, not, it's not a nice line. A bit creepy. It also, if in the year 3000 they've only got a great 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 granddaughter, then actually it's not true to say not much has changed because the gestation period or so it's, a, it's a very sweeping statement saying not much has changed, but we live underwater. Yeah, you go, wow, you're hard to impress. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how's, how's home life? Yeah, everything's fine. Nothing's, nothing's changed. Your mum's dead. But um, we've had some nice weather recently. Oh, but God. your great, great, great granddaughter. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so obviously the Strongberg's death, what do we think about that? Bond shoots him up the pipe, as it were. <laughs> does shoot him up the pipe mm. again i don't want to uh i don't i don't want to honk the freudian klaxon <laughs> but he does he does shoot him in the cock which does seem a i mean that's a nasty way to go isn't it it is really i notice he's eating oysters isn't he yeah so he's, only, he's not a above, lobster and lobster he's not he's not above eating his his submarine friends he's essentially a cannibal he is essentially a cannibal, the cannibal. Fisher, fishable I suppose they oysters and lobsters don't have webbed hands. Maybe that's where he draws the line. I won't eat anything with webbed hands. So it's I won't eat oysters or Marilyn Monroe's feet. <laughs> or the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> Black Lagoon. He's welcome. It'd be brilliant if they were at the end. When they, <laughs> he just, he was just sitting at the table with him. <laughs> like smoking a pipe. <laughs> Go, uh, Gerald, would you stand outside for a moment? Yeah, yeah no, no worries. No worries. This, but this, he is. Um, <laughs> There is something, I mean, even though his plan, uh, Stromberg's plan is obviously completely nuts. Mm. Uh, I think one thing, I just think what I like is how completely, how understated Kurt Jürgens plays it. Because, you know, I mean, a lot of Bond villains can be a bit panto. I hate to, maybe you'll object to that. No, no, I agree. He doesn't do, he doesn't do sort of too much sort of, theatricals and big laughter and stuff. There's in fact there's one brilliant bit, which is really, really terrific bit of acting, where he says, I think he's just had the, the stupid bit where Bond and Triple X turn up pretending to be a marine biologist couple. And when he goes, he gets Jaws in, he says, Was that the guy from the train? He says yes. And then he just says, um, let them get to shore and then kill them. And he says it in such an understated way. You go, oh, wow, you're a really, really nasty piece of work. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lovely, just really subtle <laughs> bit back that he could, have, he could have totally had, but just makes into something quite vicious. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think he's a great baddie. I just question his motivations. Well, yeah. That's probably what he, all, all his boards say. You know, he's got some crazy ideas, but he is a good boss. You have to admit it. Well, he needs a lot of consolation because at one point he um, he uh, messages Kenneth Connor and says, is everything proceeding according to plan whilst everything is literally blowing up? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And, then, and then there's the sort of weird thing that he, he takes triple X for himself. Yes, and says something like, oh, you'll learn to love it down here or something like that. Yeah. And so he, he apparently also- started going, I'm going to see, I'm going to see. <laughs> <laughs> but also he's obviously got because uh, she's next time we see her she's tied up and she's wearing a kind of strappy red dress and obviously she didn't have that with her on the submarine so he's obviously got a little he's been waiting for this moment he's got a rack of a rack of dresses just in case he's able to kidnap a lady snag a landlubber 
Exactly. He probably a, a, a mermaid to join him. Yes. His webbed kingdom. That's probably his next move. How do you been able to keep Triple X? He had been like um human centipede, but made her into a mermaid. Oh man. I think maybe he's just he's just going to keep her tied to the chair. <laughs> but which if you made a mermaid though, if he made a mermaid, which 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 end would he keep? <laughs> would he have the head and the fish body or the you know the bits and the fish head? I that's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. I or he could slice her down the middle. Or, yeah, or maybe he could just he could just put a sign around her that said fish. Yeah, that'd do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean he probably he's not gonna be fussy at that point. No. I no. mean, given that she appears to be the the single woman who's got any chance of being part of this undersea kingdom, yeah. she's gonna be she's gonna be busy. Oh, also, he could kidnap uh, chips from Wizard and Chips. <laughs> and he could have fish and chips. <laughs> Chips was a boy, wasn't he? Uh, right. This is just yeah. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we reached the point of the podcast where I ask you the quick fire questions. Oh god, I forgot about these. Yeah. So just just you know. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> Who is the best Bond, and what is the best Bond film? Best Bond film, I would have to say this one, Spy Love Me, because mm-hmm. my nine-year-old me would give me a Chinese burn if I said no. <laughs> Best Bond. Well, I've got a bit of a weird answer to this, which is I'm going to say Daniel Craig because I really like Daniel Craig, but I don't like his movies. Interesting. A bit weird, but I, I think as, a, as an actor and a performance, I think he's really good. All righty. Uh, who is the worst Bond and what is the worst Bond film? Worst Bond film is clearly Quantum of Solace. Cool. And the worst Bond... Uh, oh, uh, I would say Pierce Brosnan, and only because I just don't think he brings anything very new okay. to it. Uh, Bond is full of stupid names like Money Penny, Small Bone, Good Head. Uh, give me your best Bond lady name. Oh, God. Veronica Bum. That's excellent. I like that. Thank you. Uh, give me your best Bond film title that you've just made up. I love the international sex pest. <laughs> that, is, that is actually the best yet. Okay, so a hypothetical fistfight takes place between Simon Templer, the saint, and James Bond 007. Who wins? Well, it's, it's between young and old Roger Moore, isn't it? So I would say young Roger Moore, and it's the saint. Brilliant, okay. And finally, you're stranded on an island with Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and Daniel Craig. Who do you elect as leader to devise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? <laughs> I think I think you asked Timothy Dalton uh, to lead it because you it's the officer class and you get them in charge. And if it goes wrong, you blame him and eat him. Because I was throwing a point quite recently, it'd be plenty to go around. Perfect. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us on Smash this week. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking about the spy who loved me with you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.